theme music. Theme music. Us. Welcome everybody to Lick of the Week. Uh, sorry, Lick of the Week. Starting again. Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. Uh, I'm actually thinking of that we should commission an attractive sounding woman to do that little voice bit uh, from now on. Make us sound more legit. What do you say? Yeah, I think that's great. We should totally invest in that. She could say it now with Dylan Murphy and John Gillen. Uh, or your name first. I'm not, I'm not picky. Uh, so welcome, everybody. We are in episode 22. Good God, John. Good God, 22. Wow, wow. I don't know about you. I don't know what to say. It's going to be, jeez, it's going to be 30 before you know it, and then it's life is over after that. So, John, don't say things like that. <laughs> you're kind of, you're, you, you upset me so when you say things like that. Uh, so, okay, so Lick of the Week, we are going to start things off. John, actually, you finished your thesis. Congratulations. I'm clapping here. Hooray. I will take said clapping. So, um, yeah, great to be done. And Lick of the Week this week, it's, it's going to be an easy one, um, and it's also sort of short, all things considered. So, Excellent. Yep. Um, great. I will, I will play it here. Maybe it might come through my speakers. I don't know, but back at it, short. Uh, yeah. All right, great. Yeah, that's the the old sting, the old sting uh, Yelp. Yeah. So always good. Okay. Uh, I, 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 John, I could listen to the first three notes of that ninth chord, and I would know what it is. It's Andy Summer with "Message in a Bottle." Yeah, uh, fantastic. Yeah, um, it, it, it'll it'll prove a nice segue for the rest of the episode, but. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great example of his playing and his use of chords in such a limited environment. Um, Andy Summers, of course, comes from like a jazz background, so he's got these interesting chord sounds. I'm not going to give too much away because I'm going to talk about him later, but uh, just a, a sample for those of you out there. Absolutely. Fantastic, Griff. I used to love that song because I... I don't know if you know this uh, or our listeners know this, but my first instrument is drums. So I listened to Regatta de Blanc, Inside Out, Upside Down. It's such a great guitar and drum album. Not so much lyric-wise, but... Yeah, yeah. It, I think it is one of their best, actually. I think that one's got Invisible Sun on it, too, which is a track I just love. So, um, yeah, the, the Police. Underrated because of Sting. That's what I think. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. God, things were vicious. They, they. We should have. Yeah. That. We'll get back into it in, in our when we're talking about Andy Summers. Uh, as folks, as you can tell, our episode is on overlooked guitarists. But first, we have to have our weekly segment, lovingly entitled Pedal Talk, in which we talk about guitar pedals. That's the plan, anyway. That is the plan. So this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, it was John's idea. Uh, John, do you want to fill us in on your idea for this week's Pedal Talk? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of manufacturers out there and sometimes kind of weeding through all of that can be a little tricky and sometimes interesting. So uh, Boss, which is one of the longest running pedal companies, it may be the longest, to be honest, I'm not mm. sure. If you know of someone else that's been producing pedals longer than Boss, please tweet, face page, email us. That's, a, mm. that's a one action thing, I believe. And then, um, but anyway... So today we decided to look at Boss pedal manufacturers and just kind of have a talk about them and what they do Absolutely. and why they're still around. 
yeah, when I think pedals, I think Boss. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, my first guitar pedal was a Boss pedal. Is it uh, I, th I think so. I think they're great. They're built like tanks, and they're quite cheap compared to their mm -hmm. uh, buddies. I, I'm so you know. When you think of Boss, what do you think? Usually either like a DD3 or a DS1. <laughs> like yeah. That's the first thing that comes to mind. But yeah, built like tanks, easy. You know, it's super easy to change out the batteries. Uh, for example, I've got a couple of, quote, boutique pedals that do take batteries. But if you have to change battery in the sync thing, or if you want to pull it off the pedal board for a one-time use, you got to unscrew the whole back plate to change battery. And that's dumb. But, yeah, it is. Um, you know, so Boss really came up with a, a sort of a universal pedal, compact pedal design, which was one of their, their key things when they started the product, was they wanted a compact design that, was, that would fit easily onto a pedal board and was easy to change in and out, interchange. And then you could, while it's on the pedal board, you could still change the battery, which was genius. So, but yeah. you want to give us really a little background on the company itself? Yeah, so I did some very, very light digging uh, into Boss. Many people might not know this, but Boss is owned by Roland. And uh, as a teenage drummer, I loved Roland products because I, I had an electronic drum kit when I was one of the first kind of models. Uh, when I was about 16 or 17, I got that. And it's, yeah, Roland, it's it's quality. Like, it, re it really, really is. Uh, so, yeah, they were started. So, Boss pedals were first, Boss products were first started in uh, Japan in 1973. But I'm not going to say that they're the first because didn't Hendrix have, like, a Vox Wah? before that. Oh, oh yeah. You kind of have the, the kind of the, the old kind of Clapton Hendrix kind of guitar pedals. So they yeah, probably yeah. would. Yeah, no, okay. no, Boss was not the first, obviously. We've talked about Vox and their Wah, which I think was early 60s. I can't remember uh, exactly. Go back and listen to the episode. And then um, we also talked about the, the fuzz face pedals, obviously, and the octave pedals. So this stuff had been around since the mid sixties, but Boss yeah. was really the first to sort of standardize a shape and a design for a pedal board instead of yeah. looking like crazy spaceships, like the, the classic octave pedal, you know, they <laughs> wanted something that was just like, are you talking about the Joe Bonamassa fuzz face? Yeah. Right. So that was, that, that was kind of the idea behind it. And they were, they were one of the first anyway to sort of have this standardized, design uh, yeah but i uh, doing some digging their first uh, product was called the boss or uh b100 it wasn't actually a pedal it was more of a preamp used to amplify acoustic guitars and this thing is it's pretty big i i, I was looking at some pictures of it you can still find them on ebay and stuff no kidding how much do they yeah. uh, a few hundred i'm not 100 percent sure uh working condition is but they made a lot of them by the looks of it um, the first pedal they made was, I think, was like two years later in 1976. It was your favorite uh, chorus ensemble, a CE1, right. which, which came out. And since then, like, I tried to find out how many pedals they've made, and there's just been so many. Um, so maybe yeah. let's talk about, about a, few, a few key pedals. So, like I said before, my first pedal was a DS1. Uh, it was uh, a classic. You'd see Kurt Cobain using them, and they were like, what, 50 euro? So kind of a no-brainer um but yeah how about you what about your experience with boss pedals yeah I, I think i think my first pedal was a ds1 as well um and you know what's fun though is if if you go to 
if you go to their website now, they've got a 40th anniversary uh, deal on all their pedals. Uh, the Blues Driver. I had a Blues Driver at Great one pedal. point in time. Yeah, it really is. I kind of wish I hadn't got rid of it, but I do think I would get a Keeley modded. Yeah. Uh, blues Driver popular. the next time around. Yeah, and just, just for a little extra oomph. At one time, I had a DD3. You know, so it's it, they, they've all been great pedals. And though I've sold them all off, I I would definitely recommend them to anybody. Just yeah, because for they're a so starter easy pedal, they're great. Yeah, and, and for, for the price point as well. But yeah, my, my experience has always been great with them. They're rugged. They're awesome. They're easy to use. They're not, one thing about them, they're not true bypass. They have what they call a buffered bypass. Yeah. Um, which is meant to sort of help with signal integrity through a long pedal chain. Um, and so it's not too much of a difference, but if you're really worried about clarity, that is one drawback. Absolutely. And there is, they do have, you say they are great pedals. They do have a couple of stinkers like TC wouldn't really like boss has right. the, I had an OS two, which was the most frustrating pedal. It made my, <laughs> it made my tube amp sound like balls. And, uh, of course there's always the famous metal zone. Yeah, Which yeah, become become a meme, really. We we would be remiss if we did not actually talk about the metal zone, um, and and some of the other ones like the the Tiwa, which was a really early pedal of theirs, and they've done some reissues of it. And it's it, it's I find the thing it's one of those Ottawa things that is just kind of frustrating. Ugh, yeah, yeah. Um, I I multi effects pedals as well i got a i borrowed a gt5 i think it was a gt4 i had a gt5 yeah and you probably had the manual i did not have the manual (laughs) i borrowed this off a friend and i had like it took me so long to learn how to use it the Um, thing could be completely frustrating and came preloaded with just some crap tones like they were mm, just mm -mm. some of them were just awful or you had the the like really big 80s hair metal soldano tons of echo in chorus sounds um so if you're trying to strip that down it could just take forever but what's interesting about the gt series is before axe effects i mean they had they had their uh cosm technology which was um stands for composite object sound modeling like way to make it sound super difficult for nerdy guitar players but the point is is that what it did it, it was essentially amp modeling technology that was the whole idea they were one of the first companies to do it. And not only that, you could switch on the GT series, you could switch the signal chain around and assign the, the expression pedal to whatever you wanted to assign it to, including even things like your distortion. So they were way ahead of their time, even if the technology wasn't quite there for sound replication, everything that they had going for them in this box, this floor box, everything that, Line six is do, doing now with their Helix and uh, of course Axe Effects and Kemper. These guys kind of kicked the whole thing off. And yeah. you know, the amp modeling technology would not be where it is. I mean, even Fender and Vox have amp modeling stuff now. It's it's just ubiquitous. Um, yeah, it's it's everywhere. And speaking but. of, uh, a favorite for those of you on the Guitarist Ireland website. Boss, of course, has recently released their own amp modeling amp, which is the... Katana. The Katana, right. Ha. Katana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, 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 apparently it's great. Apparently it's, it's really, really good. Apparently like it's, it's, um, people are loving it. The thing is, like, about... I don't know about you, but I'm a, 
when I'm trying to buy gear, I'd like to see how players use it. And I was wondering who does use Boss products. And it turns out like all of my favorite guitarists use like John Five only has two pedals and they're both like right. Boss products. And uh, if you look at Google Prince's pedal board, it's ridiculous. It's just a bunch of those multicolored stompunks. That's all it is. Um, Kurt Cobain, of course, Slash, like even your favorite Steve Vai has like a video on Boss products. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, and Vi and Satriani use the uh, the is it the DS two I think on a lot of their '90s stuff. <laughs> Andy Summers uh, endorses Boss products, plays them. Steve Lukather. I mean, you know, it's, it, the, it's, it's a massive list, and uh, the, the and so I watch you from afar. We we had the opportunity to talk to those guys. Like they've got a couple of Boss pedals on each of their boards as well. I think it's a DD5, I think is, yeah, is what they yeah. have on there. Um, Which is great. I have one of those. Really, really, really nice. Yeah, and, and you like it. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Um, like I said, it's got, got everything I need right now. I haven't even explored how to go through it. I but, am kind yeah. of curious, like the DD5, is that, because uh, they also made those, the, the dual digital delay, like yeah. you, you, the double stomp box thing. Now, how would you compare it to one of those? I, to be honest, I haven't used one of those. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't really know where to go about using it. But one other pedal that I use that's quite similar, it, well, that would kind of border on here is, um, we were talking about it last week, is I had an RC1 Boss Looper. Yeah. And uh, that was great. That was a really great pedal to have because it, it, it taught me how bad my timing was. Um, <laughs> really, really great. We should actually maybe do um, a looping pedal episode down the line because they're really, really good pedals to have. That would be a great idea. That would be a great idea. Absolutely. I think they're I think they're really important for practicing and like you said, for just teaching teaching people timing. Timing um, is huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So boss pedals. Uh, I'm a fan. I, I can't think of any that I'd want to add to my board right now because uh, I just inherited a blues driver, so that was the main one I wanted. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I I I, I don't know. Maybe maybe something I have to have a proper look. Um, I really like that the the and so I watch you guys use the the octave shifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they use that really well. So that's a good one to have. Um, shall we move on to our main topic then? Yeah, I uh, think it's time to do that. So, so, yeah, in the past we've looked at guitarists we feel who are a bit overrated, and now we're going to maybe flip that on its side, and we're going to do guitarists that we feel are overlooked. So, John, overlooked. this is yeah, this is kind of so. Why why would you think we're doing this? What, what do you think is a good reason to... I think with, with some guitar players, frequently you'll hear things like uh, underrated guitar players. And it's all kind of subjective, but generally speaking, we're talking about people who perhaps they're, they're in another band or maybe they just they don't get a whole lot of media coverage. But their playing actually is really influential. It's something that's important to the overall sound of the band or maybe as a studio musician of their of of the sound that's coming out of the studios at that moment so i think it's plus there there's always there's always going to be great players so when you just kind of pick an underrated guitar player it could be yourself or it could be somebody from um you know your local pub or whatever so kind of you know we wanted to look a little bit beyond that someone that's you know uh relatively well known but maybe is not always gracing the cover of guitar player magazine or something like that yeah so do you want to give us your first example then um yeah so to start with that since i was mentioning session players michael landau 
Um, now this is this is a name that might be familiar to some. He's got a few uh, signature products out there, I think, through Fender and a few other things. But he is well known for being the touring guitarist for James Taylor. But he's uh-huh. also played on. I mean, basically anything that came out of L.A. from like the early 90s to uh, probably about 2000. And then in terms of everything that came out of Nashville from about 98 to 2007. So he is, yeah, um, he is one of the key session guitar players. He also has four solo records that are worth checking out, uh, sort of blues-oriented stuff. And then in the mid-90s, he had a band called the Raging Honkies. Ah, I've heard that. I've heard of that. Yeah, and uh, they're kind of like alternative blues kind of thing. Um, definitely recommend checking them out. Cool, man. I've other definitely one seen the name. It was I'm, Burning Water. Cool. So two, two bands that he had in the uh, mid to late 90s worth checking out, and then um, just loads and loads of stuff in terms of country and pop music that he played on. Great. Any examples of like accompaniment that he's done? Um, in, in terms of the, the session work stuff. Yeah. Um, he was, he was a frequent contributor with Dan Huff on Tim McGraw and Faith Hill albums. Okay. Cool. Um, up until the mid two thousands or so. Um, that's, that's a pretty big example in terms of that. And then, uh, in terms of the LA stuff, I'd, to be honest, I'd have to go back and kind of look, but even, I think he was even playing guitar on things like Backstreet Boys albums and stuff. <laughs> so, um, God, I, you've really, you've piqued my curiosity. I'm going to have to go check them out. Indubitably. Now, and for you, sir, what is your, your first one? So I, the first riff I ever learned or ever tried to learn and um, once I got a couple of chords down was Back in Black by ACDC. Nice. And I am a massive Angus Young fan, and I think Angus Young is great, but he's not my first choice I'd have. Well, he's not who I'm going to talk about because he's everywhere. Everybody knows him. Um, yeah. We're going to talk about, a bit about Malcolm Young. Um, Malcolm Young Ooh. was... Yeah. Malcolm Young is... Like, people like James Hetfield and Scotty and all those thrash guys, they're all like, Malcolm Young is the guy because he yeah. held ACDC together. And... Yeah. As a guitar player who's like started writing more riffs and everything, I find that you know you can play a a blues solo at two hundred beats per minute. It's it's not going to impress me as like a really good riff. Mm. And I think Malcolm Young is just the king. I mean, you go back to like beating around the bush or uh, dirty deeds done dirt cheap or any of these. He's just like this powerhouse of just riffs. And apparently, he said that he didn't solo because it interfered with his drinking. Um, which is you know what an australian thing to say it very very much is uh like you, you can see just his influence everywhere on on just blues rock guitar and i i think he doesn't get the props he deserves but he is just the guy for me as a as a riff writer um he's like i i always go back to him Absolutely. Um, but speaking of riffs your next guy be quite well, up there. well, if if I can bounce off that real quick, uh, yes. I think the other thing that gets overlooked too with Malcolm is his rhythm playing. Oh, his rhythm huge. playing is not that easy. Like I, I think I think because Angus sort of steps out in front. Like take Thunderstruck for example, a song everybody knows. But man, trying Thunderstruck to, is difficult. The rhythm tra- guitar for them. Yeah, difficult. trying to teach kids how to play that. Like it just like oh man. Talk about improving your timing. Not easy being Malcolm. Yeah. Um, but your 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 next uh, guitar 
overlooked guitar player is kind of a riff guy as well though right yeah absolutely so andy summers uh which you know we heard the intro to message in a bottle right there and i what i find fascinating about andy summers is he has so many great riffs um and he talks about his solo work as well because frequently in the police he would get four maybe eight bars tops um sting was always a bit of a dictator about guitar solos and so andy summers felt like he had to do some of his weirdest stuff because uh, he just had a penchant for the weird in these four bars. So when you're listening to his solos, like his solo work is really this concentrated distilled weirdness. And if you go back and listen to some of his own uh, oh, songs, oh, that it's so lonely. yeah, so that solo is insane. Like it changes key halfway through. Yeah. It's, 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 it's mad. And his use of chords uh, and chord structures came from jazz um the rhythm stuff coming from ska like so they he really pulled together a lot of the sound of that band um whatever about sting i just i don't i don't think the police would have been the police really without without all three of them but to be honest i think Stuart copeland and andy summers did the most interesting music in the band hugely i don't know if i've told you this but i tried reading andy summers autobiography before and oh, no. it's just it's like he's 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 really old he's really fucking old mm. um but he uh so it has a lot about like growing up during the war but <laughs> but he'll constantly take these breaks to talk about writing music and he'll just go into theory he'd be like i found this amazing sharp nine chord and he'll just talk about how he constructed like you know these chord patterns and like the if the average music appreciate music listener could not appreciate it whatsoever yeah, I, it's just way too complex. But I think that, that really added for, uh, the, the depth um, for, for the police. And I think, for example, like Sting would not have had a, that career afterwards if it weren't for Andy Summers' harmonic vocabulary that influenced him. I mean, whatever Sting, Sting... I think Sting would say, like, well, I listened to jazz before. I was like, yeah, but you weren't writing for it. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I think Andy Summers really paved the way for that band. Um, yeah, and his his touch harmonics and his harp harmonics. I mean, I don't know if I told you this, but I saw the Police when they reformed. The most I've ever paid for a gig ticket was to see the Police. Same, yeah. <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, and it was just a big his, arena show. His touch harmonics and everything, just without even looking, it was just insane. Um, and still really good, even though, yeah. even though he's that old. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's funny, when you mentioned Overlook Guitarist as an idea, I was like, he's going to pick Andy Summers, because <laughs> if, he doesn't, if he doesn't, I'm going to pick him. I could go on about Andy Summers all day. Yeah. Um, his, yeah, his solo stuff I'm not into, but his stuff with the police is brilliant. Really, really good. Yeah, his solo stuff, some of it gets a little bit weird. Uh, he did an album of Thelonious Monk tunes and an album oh. of Mingus tunes. Pass. Um, yeah, which honestly, like in, in uh, the, the difficult thing is, is like one, they're not a hard jazz album. So if you're just really into jazz, like it's not it. But they're also not like sort of a pop rendition of it either. So they fall into this weird middle zone, which if you're an Andy Summers fan, they're great. Uh, and if you're not, then, you know, you might just want to pass. So yeah, solid. And anyway, um, cool. uh, yeah. you've got one more. I do. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to talk about a bit about Nick Zinner, um, who is a guy, if, if you mention him, you probably won't recognize his name, but he's the guitar player for the AAS. 
Um, oh, yeah. And I find that with a band that's you have a drummer, you have a vocalist and you have a guitar player, the guitar player has to be really interesting for it to work. And um, I just, I remember hearing his first album and just remembering, you know, I remember seeing him in the video for Maps and him just like tremolo picking that one note and then looping it and then playing stuff over it. Um, it's just amazing. And like just listening to those, those first two Yeah Yeah Yeah's albums in particular, because you know it's just him creating basically all of the musical accompaniment apart from the drums. Uh, it's just so interesting because it's just looped guitars, but it works really, really well. And it's all really melodic. It's just based around chord chord tones like based around triad and it's just so interesting um he's always he said he um he's the one guitar player that the edge said he was jealous of wow um, <laughs> because uh he basically plays as little notes as possible but when it combines it works really really well um, yeah, yeah absolutely uses delay like a boss write a really good riff um and no bass player so like he has to do all the kind of the root note stuff as well. So it's really, really good. Um, I check out the first Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's album. Uh, it's just full of such interesting guitar stuff. Really, really like it. That's brilliant. Um, I'll have to check that out. Absolutely. Uh, I so mean, I sort of know them anything? in passing, but uh, haven't really spent any time with that. Absolutely. Now, now I'm intrigued. So I might post some stuff, some links on the Twitter, just to get people listening. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Absolutely. Then so you we'll listeners can tweet at us back. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Uh, so we're going to move on to what we've been working on. John, what have you been working on? Um, well, been trying to trying to pick up a couple of different things. So uh, honestly, just trying to, to build my technique back up. So after a week of or two weeks of not working on stuff, hardly at all. Um, so just trying to stay up for the students. I've got a few students who are really into um, some speed metal stuff and some tech metal stuff. And so um, I've been working on on string skipping exercises. I've been working on just uh, the basic building some speed up and just trying to get trying to get my hands back in shape because typing is terrible for guitar playing. <laughs> so, it is, man. Yeah. So that's that's kind of it. I mean, it's not a whole lot of detail at the moment, uh, but then trying to trying to rebuild a practice routine. So. I might have to go back and listen to previous episodes to see how to do that. Yeah, we've got wink, that. Wink, wink, nudge, that nudge. Anyway, what about yourself, man? Uh, I've been working through a few things. I, I told you last week that I made a list of stuff I wanted to work on, um, little riffs and solos and stuff that I never actually sat down to learn. So I'm, I'm working my way through. Riff-wise, I'm working my way through Ashes of the Wake by uh, Lamb of God, which is just such a... Because <sighs> oh, it's all in time with the double bass drum. And you have to get your like your up upstroke. I'm just playing at half the speed right now, and then just building up my speed. It's so good. It's just on the low E, but you just I feel it the next day. So I'm not oh. using those muscles. Uh, and apart from that, I am working my way through the Hotel California solo because I've always wanted to learn it, and it's a great solo to break down into chunks because you've got to go back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever sat down and learned that? Um, I have, but it's probably been, I don't know, six or seven years at this point. So I've got a few students who've mentioned it, and so I'll probably have to work it back up. But yeah. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, and for what have you been listening to, John? Um, yeah. Or have actually. you? <laughs> <laughs> have I? It's been a little bit limited. Um, so I've been, I've actually just, just kind of working through the last bit of the thesis stuff. Uh, there's, things that would sort of keep me motivated or kind of keep me working through some things. But as I was writing about stuff, 
uh, one of the one of the guitarists that I was writing about, Yvette Young, um, has a lot of these really cool chordal textures in uh, the two-handed tapping stuff that she does. And it just kind of, uh, and also resonated a little bit with like Debussy and Ravel. So I kind of went back to some of those things. I'm fascinated by the harmonic structures of these players. So this is like super nerdy. It's not exactly guitar music. I get that. But well, by not exactly, it's not at all um, (laughs) because it's piano music. But I think uh, it's important to stretch beyond your instrument sometimes to find new voicings and new ways of doing things because it opens up your harmonic vocabulary a little bit. And, and I think talking about people like Andy Summers, you know, that's, that was one of his big inspirations, you know, uh, Monk and Mingus are not guitar players, but instead that helps him develop his chordal vocabulary. And I'm just kind of interested to see what I can do to kind of expand my own chordal vocabulary, just because I have a tendency to sort of lock into one thing. If it's, if I wanted to sound quote jazzy, it's usually a typical two, five, one with not too many interesting chords on it, you know, so. Got to work that up. Yeah, exactly. So something a little different um, and not guitar oriented this week. What about you? Good. I think you need to take a guitar detox from that kind of stuff. For <laughs> it's a it's not a bad thing. Um, speaking of guitar rigs and pedals, uh, the next person who, the person who I've been listening to this week uh, is The War on Drugs. They're a band. Uh, yes. I, I don't know anything about them. I just know that I really like their music, but their guitar, their rig rundown, the lead singer, uh, name escapes me, uh, his rig rundown is insane. Like his tone is so good. And I remember seeing them live and just being like, this is insane. Because he's one of these guitar players like Joe Perry or The Edge who will different guitar for every song because right. he cares that much about tone. Um, yeah, and apart from that, I've been listening to the follow-up album from uh, Always. They're this Brook, I think, from Brooklyn band. They dress and act like they're a Brooklyn band, but it's really nice, kind of uh, indie pop stuff. Really jangly. All the guitar players play uh, jazz masters that look cool, but have to be run through a lot of different pedals to sound good. <laughs> so yeah, that that that's me. Um, John, do you want to tell our our listeners what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks? Okay, so we've got um, we've got a bunch of different interviews. We should I go ahead and just give them the rundown of, of who's going to be on the show? Yeah, in no particular order. That's, in that's no particular order. Surprise. Yeah. So I had the opportunity. Yvette Young was in uh, the Denver area doing some filming, and I got the opportunity to sit down with her and had a great conversation. She's going to be on the show. We've got Neely Brosh, who is an amazing guitar player. If you don't know who she is, I've talked about her before. Look her up, check it out. Um, And we've got, and so I watch you from afar. All of these artists have big things coming up. So we're trying to push them, promote them. And uh, I think we even have a few more in the works, but we'll keep you posted on what comes through. So, and then in addition to that, you've got us, coming in as well we've got some more things in terms of technical things uh practice routines getting out of a rut all these fun things that you expect from myself and dylan absolutely that's that's kind of what we want what we want aim for but yeah a lot of fun things ahead and um, thanks people have been commenting and liking and we've got new likes every week and it's 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 great it makes our little it warms our little hearts so if you uh keep on doing that and tell your friends uh, we know guitar players flock together, so uh, if, if you like it, you probably know five or six people that will also like it. 
And uh, yeah, stay tuned. We're, we're going to be trying to get some merchandise up and running uh, here in the next few weeks. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. What else? Am I missing Everywhere. something? Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Anywhere where good podcasts are sold or not Literally. sold and downloaded for free. Whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> Labor of love. Yeah, it is. It is. So uh, stay in touch and stay sharp, friends. 